We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. We could go on and on about the rich history of this part of the country, but sometimes you have to dig for it, literally. And that's what anthropology students at SIU Edwardsville have been doing, looking for history and finding it right under their noses, or more precisely, right under their feet. Joining me in studio from the Anthropology Department at SIUE are Professor Julie Zimmerman and students Kelly Sokbeck and Payne Gray. Thank you all so much for being with us. Thank you for having us. Julie, let me start with you. What did you find and why is it important? Uh, well, we found a Mississippian period house, and I, <laughs> why is it important? Um, literally thousands of Mississippian period houses have been found <laughs> in, the, uh, in the American Bottom. The American Bottom is the river valley of the Mississippi River from approximately Alton down to uh, Chester. It's about 60 miles long north to south and about 12, 15 miles wide at its widest point around Cahokia Mounds. And you, you may know Cahokia is the largest archaeological site north of Mexico. It was a great Native American city. Uh, about a thousand years ago, and um, so when I say thousands of houses have been found like this, I, I mean literally thousands. When they put in uh, the new Mississippi River Bridge, when they put in that uh, new extension of Interstate 70, that first exit there off of 5564, it's Exchange Avenue. They fit, they found 1,600 houses right there in that little stretch. So lots of houses have been found like this, but um, up where we are, we're about 20 miles, I guess, north of Cahokia. Um, there is no m- village known from that time period. So it's kind of a scatter of Mississippian period farm farmhouses about a thousand years old. And so the excitement to us is just simply that it's on our campus and it gives our students the opportunity to learn how to do archaeology by actually, you know, going out there and doing it. When we speak of houses, what what are we actually talking about? This is partially, at least partially, subterranean, isn't it? And yes. it was built that way, right? They refer to them as semi-subterranean structures because they would dig a hole in the ground, and then uh, they would dig a trench, and put a wall up, dig another trench, put another wall up. So the the walls are. Um, you know, wood poles with wattle and daub, like mud and straw, packed into there, and then thatch roofs for the for the uh, for the uh, the superstructure. So when they decay, uh, it basically becomes dirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so what we're seeing in the ground are stains where the basins were of their houses. Um, in our case, our our uh, site has been very heavily plowed and eroded away. And so we don't see the basin where they dug the big hole. We just see the wall trenches at the bottom of it, so like the four sides of the house. Um, So that's what it looks like. It looks like dirt in the ground. My understanding is that this was a horseradish field at one time, or maybe still is, and that's why it was uh, kind of destroyed. That's correct. Um, it was uh, horseradish agriculture began in that field about in the 1970s. So I'm going to say it was probably farmed 100 years before that, uh, but um, uh, maybe 150 years before that. But horseradish, horseradish agriculture goes much deeper, and so uh, something like five feet of topsoil were lost from the site since the 1970s. Um, but the university has stopped farming the site. Uh, since about 2012. So now we've put a conservation planting out there. Uh, we couldn't afford native grasses, but we've put out um, timothy and, and uh, 
uh, red top or non-native grasses, and we planted native wildflowers, black-eyed Susan, uh, gray-headed coneflower, um, partridge pea. So these native wildflowers are attracting animals like Bob White at the same time that they're um, preserving the site. Sounds very pretty, among among other things. It is pretty. Kelly, the... the uh the structure that uh, Julie described there doesn't sound to me like what most people think of when they think of Native Amer- American dwellings, no. if you will. Yeah, no, it really just looks like four lines in a rectangle on the ground. Um, so a lot of people will come out to the site and visit, and then they're a little underwhelmed, I guess, because it really doesn't seem like a whole lot. But it is really exciting because it's a really hard evidence of what was actually there. What impressed you most about it? What did you find or, or see found that uh, was impressive to you? Um, one of the biggest things that we found, um, other than the house, of course, was a spear point. It was a like an it was, people like call them arrowheads, but it was actually a spear point. Um, I'm not sure of the exact type of rock chart that it was, but it was um, it was pretty big. I, it was pretty exciting too. <laughs> Payne, what does that tell you? You find a spear point. What do you learn from the spear point? Well, uh, this particular spear point, we're not 100% sure on. Um, There's a chance it could be older than, um, it's most likely older than Mississippian era, um, and there's a chance it could even be older than the woodland period that Doxy is most interested in. Um, And it could put it anywhere from um, 2,000 to 6,000 years old. Um, But we found it underneath the house basin of this Mississippian era house, so the question of how it got there is the big mystery. Um, Other than that, uh, we can we can learn a little bit about you know, like she said, what type of chert we're, uh, they're using. We can figure out where that what kind comes of what from. they're using. The chert uh, so, that's pretty much the type of rock they're fashioning it out yep. of. Um, so we can learn a couple things from that and the style of the spear point. A lot of things are mysterious about the Mississippians, not the least of which is where the heck did they go after having this huge culture from almost from the east coast down to Mexico and up as far as Wisconsin. Let me answer that. Because I know, know Payne would like it. I just want to see how much he's been paying attention. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think it's all that mysterious when you think about, you know, the number of people who would have been living in Cahokia um, 800 to 1,000 years ago. And they're growing corn without beans. And you, I'm sure you know about the crop rotation down the Midwest mm-hmm. today. You grow corn one year, you grow beans yeah. the next year because yeah. the corn sucks the nitrogen out of the soil and the beans add it back in. Um so uh, they were the Cochians were growing corn without beans, um, and so I don't think it's surprising that uh, they depleted their resources. They cut down all the trees in the area. Um, so uh, where did the people go? You also have to realize that it was a that Cochia was a multi ethnic site. That people were coming from all around to live at Cochia, coming from places like uh, Indiana and Arkansas. And I think. When Cahokia collapses, the the dominant uh, archaeological model today is that they go west and they become groups like the Osage and the Omaha, Siouan-speaking groups. Um, But I think probably um, when Cahokia collapses, uh, Cahokians go back to where they originally came from, which would include those places like Indiana and Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Kelly, uh, you get any sense of the sophistication of these people on the basis of what little of that group you were able to see in this, this relatively small hole? Um, it is very difficult to tell because we are just seeing the remains of what we find. So um, we will find features, uh, typically pits that were used for storage or for cooking that end up being trash pits. Um, and so we dug uh, one or two, I think, Mississippian features this summer. A lot of the things we found were just pi- like bioturbation made by animals over the years. 
Um, so other than the house, we weren't able to find a whole lot. But just seeing the house itself, like the kind of construction that goes into it was really cool. Payne, if my understanding of this uh, particular science is correct, finding a trash pit really is like striking gold, isn't it? I mean, you learn an awful lot from the trash. Right. Um, that's pretty much what we have left of these people. Um, if you think about it, your tools, generally you pass them on to your children. And uh, m- most important things you keep and uh, pass on to future generations. So um, what they're throwing out is really what we find for the most part. And it also helps us figure out a lot about the way where they were living and uh, what they were doing. Um, we find things like um, the charred animal remains and uh, ethnobotanical samples from parts of the features. And would, that really gets us a better insight. Julie, did did you find in this particular site uh, something that uh, taught you something you didn't know before? Um, well, initially, I've been excavating out the site since 2009. And um, because the site is so heavily eroded, um, my understanding was everything that I would find there would be buried right underneath the plow zone. And let me tell you, and the plow zone is the upper layer of soil that has been turned over by the plow. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me tell you, my primary interest was not actually Mississippian period going out there. This site has... Uh, materials from every time period in Native American prehistory going back to 10,000 years ago. Um, And it's better known, actually, for the middle woodland component there, which is about 2,000 years old. So about 1,000 years older than Cahokia. Um, The middle woodland people, we also call them Hopewell people, Um, they were also mound builders and and, uh, part of, you know, took took part in a vast exchange system of exotic materials and fancy trade goods. we don't know as much about them here in this area of the American bottom. It's kind of a backwater during that time period. So that's the time period that I was really interested in. Um, so I'd say the big surprise to me was to uh, when we found this particular – this is the third Mississippian period house that we have found um, on our site. I'm sure there are more out there. Um, the shock to me about this one was that it was buried underneath other features uh, in such a way that it, it almost – um, it almost looked like it was intentionally buried in some places, which I don't think, um, when I say intentionally buried, there, there are theories about some t- sites that they're intentionally burying things for ritual reasons. I don't think that's the case at all. I think Mississippian people are coming to this, this site. They might live there for 10 or 20 years until they deplete the soils because they're growing corn without beans. Uh, then they might move away and they might farm yeah. upstream a mile right along Cahokia Creek. Um, so then 20 years later, they might come back and start farming in the same area. So I think when they came back, they were uh, intentionally filling in some of the features from earlier time periods. A house that had been there 20 years before is now a big hole in the ground, and it's sinking in, and it's a it's a nuisance, so you're going to throw your trash in it, and you're going to try to fill it in. So um, this house, house was kind of buried underneath features in, in a way that uh, we almost missed it. Um, so that was a surprise. Um, and then to find, as the students mentioned, they're very excited about the spear point. Uh, the, you know, spear points are, uh, you know, a dime a dozen in some contexts, but to find one below the floor of this house was a little bit surprising. And, um, and like it's indicated, I'm still not quite sure what time period it is, but it's older than Mississippian and, and uh, how it became deposited there stratigraphically, I'm, I have not quite figured out yet. Is the spear point the only artifact? Oh, good heavens, no. I'm going to say this summer we didn't find a lot of artifacts because we initially found this summer in the uh, – this sorry, we initially found this house in the summer of 2016. 
and we uh, identified it, mapped it, but we didn't have time to excavate it. So when we went out back out through the summer, we uncovered the house. So we didn't screen any of that dirt. We'd already screened it before. So there were no artifacts from uh, on top of that house. Um, the wall trenches that are left of the house have very few artifacts in them. Uh, well, the wall trench that Payne dug did have some artifacts in it. And I think the wall trench section that Kelly dug did not have any artifacts <laughs> no. in it. And that's not unusual. It's like, do, you know, when you throw your trash away, are you throwing it down? in the crawl space of your house? Not necessarily, right? So um, we did not find a lot of artifacts this summer uh, because of the nature of, of how we were excavating and what we were excavating. Um, but certainly in previous summers, I mean, the first, uh, the first summer I was out there, summer of 2009, we started with a surface collection. Uh, we walked every every horse third horse rash row every 2.5 meters. We walked a transect across that field, and we collected over 30,000 stone artifacts alone. Um, so we have boxes and boxes and boxes of artifacts from this site. Uh, the artifacts we found from the summer were not the exciting thing. The exciting thing was to see the stains in the ground the, where the Mississippian house was. But we have artifacts from other. Uh, years, um, for example, Middle Woodland period, the period that I was interested in, we have beautiful uh, pottery with the red paint from s- still preserved on it from 2,000 years ago. Uh, we found a little figurine in the summer of 2013, just about the size of the palm of your hand, a little humanoid with <laughs> little legs and stumps for arms. Um, uh, we have found copper uh, as a trade good coming from the Great Lakes, copper from both M- Middle Woodland and Mississippian periods. Uh, we have found um, marine shell beads from the Mississippian period in our surface collections. Uh, we have found um, obsidian. Uh, obsidian known as volcanic glass, and uh, obsidian, all the obsidian from any archaeological sites in the Midwest in good context are all coming from middle woodland deposits. Mississippian people were not uh, importing obsidian, but the middle woodland people were. Most of that uh, obsidian appears to come, they can tell by the analysis of the, uh, the, uh, the chemicals in the obsidian that it's coming from just a couple quarries, uh, apparently in Yellowstone. And most oh. of it's coming right past Illinois and, and ending up in Ohio. But yet we have found two obsidian flakes uh, on our site. Um, and so we are finding some cool stuff out there uh, in terms of the artifacts, uh, just not this summer. Payne, Payne, you did find some artifacts, though, if, if I understood Julie correctly. What did you find, and how exciting is it to find something that's of value? Yeah, so um, not to uh, not that she was being misleading, but we do find stuff every day. We find lots of stuff, but uh, it's about the size and the quality of them and their intactness. Um, the spearhead was about the only thing we found fully intact. We find flakes and pottery sherds every day, but they're usually pretty small and, you know— um, Unexciting, I guess you could say, but uh, this one wall trench that she mentioned was actually full. It was on the east side, and it was full of fire-cracked rock, which is exactly what it sounds like, um, rock that was exploded in a fire. Um, pottery sherds, and the ones coming out of this trench were decent size, but, you know, about about maybe an inch or two uh, at the largest. Well, what happens to these things when you find them? Obviously, they're they're saved somehow, I assume. Yes. So um, the one thing that people don't tell you about archaeology is there's a lot of paperwork involved. So uh, even when you're out there on the field, you've got your clipboard and your paperwork. And anytime you find something, you have to take meticulous notes on it so you know exactly where it came from in the ground and uh, the conditions under which you found it. And so when you go back to the lab, you know 
you can uh, kind of revisualize that and have a much better context um, because, like Dr. Z says, uh, context is everything. <laughs> and so uh, we have to make sure we, we make note of all of that. Right. Kelly, what's going on in the lab? Um, so the lab is mostly washing and cataloging artifacts. Um, we also do flotation samples, which is when we take a soil sample from a feature or from any kind of dirt out in the field, and then we put it in this giant tank, and we literally just pour gallons of water into it and we float it up so that things that would float in water, like old seeds, old wood or anything like that, would be separated from things that would uh, sink in the water. So like pieces of pottery, anything larger. So there's a lot of uh, mud being flung around most of the time just because it's a very dirty situation. Tell them about your senior project, Kelly. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I can tell you about my senior project, which is um, I'm looking at... Uh, old artifacts from the past years in 2010 through 2012, which were uh, field schools being led by Dr. Vogel, who um, was a teacher back then at SIUE. And so I'm looking at old artifacts that had not been identified, like they'd been separated into ceramics versus lithics versus charcoal. But I'm looking specifically at ceramics in order to identify their temper, their surface, like design and things like that. Sounds like kind of a jigsaw puzzle kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's a jigsaw puzzle, but all the pieces don't go together. Sure. <laughs> right. Payne, how about you? Do you have a senior project going or uh, something like this? Yes. I worked on a senior project um, and starting in 2016 and continuing into 2017 with another professor, Dr. Corey Wilmot at SIUE. Um, I'm a little more culturally focused when it comes to anthropology, mm -hmm. and I worked on um, creating a multimedia virtual exhibit of some of the Northwest Coast uh, woodworking and carvings in our university's collection. Um, and that was a great time. I got a lot of good internship experience with Dr. Wilmot over the course of two semesters. Where do you take this from here? When you graduate, what do you do? I'll just ask you and Kelly the same question. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's a very interesting question because I uh, I personally don't plan on going into more schooling for at least a couple of years. Um, it's time for me to get out into the real world. And <laughs> so I hope to do what they kind of refer to as applied anthropology, where I take my skills I gained in my four years in school and I use them in the real world, in the real business world. and uh, The 21st century world. Right, right. Yeah. So uh, there's not a lot of jobs out there that are specifically looking for anthropology degrees, but we're kind of like a, a jack-of-all-trades when it comes to the real world. So. And Kelly, in 30 seconds or so? Oh, geez. Um, so my focus is archaeology, but I'm also a history major. So something you can do with archaeology is cultural resource management, management, where you're hired by companies who are trying to build like new buildings, parking lots, things like that, to run a survey over, make sure there's nothing of any historical significance there so they can build. Um, but I'm not sure what I'm going to do with my two degrees after I graduate yet. <laughs> and Julie Zimmerman, we have a minute left. Where do you go from here with all of this? Well, the lab work is just beginning. I'm actually writing my report right now. It's due to the state within a year. Um, and I have Kelly working on her senior project this year and probably other seniors will also be working on research from the site. Um, and I have an article on the Middle Woodland Occupation under revision right now through the journal Illinois Archaeology. So that's what I'm working on. Is there much of this sort of thing, and we only have 30 seconds left, much of this sort of thing going on in our area, other universities perhaps? Oh, involved? sure. Yes, yeah. Washington University has been working over at Cahokia. Um, SLU had an excavation over at Cahokia. UMSL has had in the past. So we are this incredibly rich archaeological area, and all the local universities are doing this kind of work. Still lots to learn and yes, still finding things more. after all, all this time. Yep. 
Well, thank you all so much for being with us. This is fascinating stuff. Keep us posted, Julia, on what us. you find. You guys will be gone doing <laughs> yes. your thing. But uh, as you discover more things, we'd like to know about it. All right. Thank you. That's uh, anthropology professor Julie Zimmerman and students Kelly Sopak and Payne Gray from Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville. Again, thank you all so much oh, for thank you. taking thank you. the time to be with us. Archive versions of past St. Louis on the air programs available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash STL on air. The program's a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh. <laughs>